I think it's really important to recognize that this is an evolving path and it's not linear. So sometimes we feel like we progressed a lot and then something happens where we act back in the ways how things were before our healing journey started. And we, we may fall in the trap of becoming too critical or too self-loathing or however shameful we feel in that, these moments. So it's important to remind ourselves and be very gentle in, in approaching even the biggest mistakes that we make in our life and introducing that self-compassion and talking to ourselves as if we talk to someone we deeply, deeply care about. This healing journey, like I said, is nonlinear, ongoing, lifelong, and it's going to continue to evolve and expand. And when you make mistakes, it's okay. So please be gentle with yourself. This is the Conscious Economics Podcast, and I'm your host, Rhiannon Roslin. This is the place where we explore people, planet, profit, and art through the lens of the new economy. If you're interested in changing yourself, getting more creative, or changing the system at large, then this is the podcast for you. Tune in every other week as we explore these topics with amazing guests. We'll go deep, we'll go heart-centered and soul-felt as we go into how we change ourselves and change the world. What's up, everyone, and welcome back to the Conscious Economics Podcast. It is officially season four, and I'm so excited to be back. It's been a long break. We had a great summer, so many incredible things happening. And this month, we're so excited to be launching our Mindfulness and Money Annual Membership, which I'm going to talk about in today's episode. So thanks, guys. Thanks for coming back. Thanks for tuning in. And I'm so excited to tell you about who the guest is for our first show back of the season. And it's our beautiful financial therapist and the co-founder of Mindfulness and Money, Asil Albaba. I know many of you know Asil, those of you that have been following and watching the content. But for those of you that don't, Asil is the co-founder of Mindfulness and Money, and she is a financial therapist. She spent a decade working in the Canadian banks and grew her career in the financial planning and managing sector with a portfolio of over $100 million on Bay Street. So she enjoyed helping her clients with crucial financial decisions, but she felt that there was something majorly missing. And so she decided to go back to school and become a psychotherapist, pivoting into the world of financial therapy in March of 2020, which was the beginning of the pandemic, crazy timing. So she helps her clients and our community members address financial challenges using an emotional, psychological, behavioral, and relational tool and lens and helps them with overcoming financial hurdles that are intertwined with all of these different aspects of ourself. She's also the CEO of Holistic Optimal Wealth, which is her own practice, which is on a mission to explore and heal people's relationship with money. And she's a member of the Financial Therapy Association and the Canadian Association of Psychodynamic Therapy. She's a public speaker, a thought leader, and I love her so much. I'm so excited for you to hear our conversation. We definitely went deep. We talked about so many important things, including all that's happening on the planet right now. And I just want to acknowledge that if you are feeling tender, if you are feeling raw, if you are feeling anxious, scared, sad, we feel you 
I understand. And I hope that this podcast and this show can be a place where you can come and feel safe and let your nervous system relax and know that there are many of us out here that are trying to build something better. So holding space for that. And thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you enjoy this episode with the lovely Asil Alpapa. Hi, Asil. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for being here today. I'm so happy to be here. And we're laughing a little because we had a little recording issue. So we're coming back in and we're trying to invite our listeners back to the space that we were creating here. And that space started off with me just reflecting on why I wanted you to be the first guest on our season four of the Conscious Economics podcast. And that reflection was taking me to a deep place of gratitude. And I was reflecting on three reasons why I wanted you to be the first to christen this season. The first being that you have had a profound impact on my life. You have provided such a deep reflection for me and a mirror for me of my own mission and vision because you share a very similar mission and vision. You've been such a wise teacher and guide and mentor for me. I've learned so much from you and I've healed so much in your presence and under your guidance and wisdom. So recognizing that. And you also birthed one of my favorite humans on the planet, which is your son <laughs> who's turning one this week, which is amazing, but that's a digression. And lastly, you're my business partner and we have created this beautiful, beautiful mindfulness and money organization and project. And for the listeners that are tuning in now, this episode is airing and that means it's November and the actual mindfulness and money annual membership course has launched. So we will talk about that, but for all those reasons and so many more, I wanted to have you here as the first guest. So I'm so honored to have you. Thank you. I echo everything you've shared and I feel so humbled and grateful to have someone like you in my life. And I reflect on when we were co-creating the vision statement for conscious economics and talking about co-creating the new economy radically with love uh, and also how the term economic healer emerged uh, organically from that conversation and helping us recognize that that's really our calling and also what we're here to do and the fact that we saw that in each other is really really profound and and the way I reflect on that is my journey prior to meeting you was focused on the individual how money trauma shows up in our individual lives how it impacts our careers identity relationships how we parent how we work how we show up period, in, in whichever way we do. And then when I met you, I think you brought a really interesting layer to the macro, to the systemic, to the global, to the the visionary that you are in understanding how, like you say, the economy is the extension of our value system and how the economy represents what we prioritize and where our consciousness is as a collective in that particular moment so it widened and created a really interesting layer that I now wanted to even dive into and integrate in the work that I do because 
the systems have to function for the sake of the individual and the individual has to create the system. So Mm -hmm. it's very intertwined and I love that dance in between. Mm, I love doing that dance with you as well. And I think that you need both happening simultaneously. So the way we change the system is by each individual making those changes. And then as each individual makes them, the system, you know, becomes anew. So it is so beautiful. It's such an amazing reflection. And for me, you brought a level of clarity and sophistication and actual tool like tangible tools and resources as you being a financial therapist actually you legitimized what I was trying to do because my place that I teach from is definitely from the place of the wounded healer I have deep deep wounds with money and I've worked with myself individually in order to understand those wounds some of which are still present and to help others through that experience that lived experience and I know although it's a little bit different you also have some of those wounds and have been able to alchemize them into the healer that you are and the healing that you give. So do you want to tell our audience a little bit for those of you that might be hearing you the first time? I don't, I I find that hard to believe, but we're getting new people all the time tuning in. So share with us a little bit, what's your story and how did you become this beautiful and powerful economic healer that you are? Where did it begin? The first time I ever declared or started even thinking about my purpose and mission here in the world started at a very, very young age. I was probably eight or nine years old, and there was a lot of chaos in the environment that I grew up coming from South Lebanon. And that chaos was literally surrounding my house and in the house that I grew up in as well. To give you perspective, The neighborhood that I was in was deserted. A lot of the neighbors fled Lebanon looking for better lives. So a lot of my childhood was looking at literally deserted homes. And the school across the street from me was turned into a military camp. So we didn't have much cable or a lot of childhood cartoon networks or things like that. So it's the combination of all these elements that forced me to spend a lot of my childhood in solitude. And when I was in this deep solitude, I would ask existential questions from such a young age about what am I really here to do and trying to make the sense of all the chaos I was uh, encountering. And in one particular day, I remember there was some shootings happening across the street, but also my parents were fighting and I just couldn't handle. It was just too much for an eight-year-old to go through. And in my brother's room, I started drawing on a piece of paper, my first, what I call now, business card. I didn't have a concept of what that is at the time, Mm. but I wrote my name and I started drawing butterflies and flowers and things like that. But underneath it, I said, the changer of the world, Mm. because in that moment, I declared that I wanted to change the world. And I believed it like wholeheartedly and it was unquestionable, unshakable desire for me, then carried forward to different initiatives from joining 
a peace ambassador program in Lebanon to working with different refugees to launching different initiatives to protect the planet and educate people on pollution. And like it started launching in different ways, whether it was initiatives to save the planet or for human rights or like I just wanted to dabble into everything that I can, especially because growing up in that environment, there were too many issues that we were encountering collectively Mm. as a society. And before I knew it, I came to Canada at the age of 16. I was with a single mom and we had to heavily rely on government assistance to get us on our feet. And because I had really good marks, I I graduated with honors and I was one of the youngest financial advisors in the bank. That was primarily, I started my job at the bank actually when I was turning 20 Mm -hmm. and by 22, I was uh, a financial advisor and it, it became such an imposter syndrome and a moment of deep dissonance and trying to make sense of this new 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 business card that I carry knowing the financial struggles that not only I've been through throughout my life but that I'm still continuously going through with my family mm-hmm. and I had to grapple with this gap between this identity I was now trying to show up as this professional who's advising people on money but also some of the pains and the traumas I was still trying to heal from and make sense of so I struggled a lot with the concept of money from the get-go because that changer archetype that I declared from a young age had that social desire. Like I wanted to be a helper, a social worker. I wanted to potentially do nonprofit work. And I never knew how money coexists or intersects with these, what I perceived to be noble work, yeah. essentially. Yeah. I felt that my identity is now crashing being in a corporate environment advising people on money when all my life was preparing me to just give back and do good and better the world but anyways I tried to make the most out of my time there and realized that being in a client-facing role gave me the opportunity to create that impact but never Mm -hmm. in what I perceived it would be so I started really delving into every topic I can find around money to elevate the quality of my work beyond just the conversation on what your investment strategies are or what the market is up to or how I can support you in covering your debt or cash flow management. I started looking because of that vision I always had about Mm. the soul of money, the energy of money, the art of money, and made a commitment to myself that I needed to start rewiring all these negative beliefs I grew up around money so I can walk the walk and talk the talk. And Mm. I bought my first condo at the age of 28. And that was also around the same time where I started to deeply recognize that regardless who I was serving, whether somebody who was like barely able to meet their monthly cash flow needs or somebody who has like millions of dollars and don't know what to do with their money, the the conversation was missing so much elements. And one of the things I actually recently came to recognize and something I joked with my manager in the bank about was that out of all the tools that I was equipped with as a financial advisor, from like charts to strategies to financial plans to calculators, the tool that I used the most was my tissue box. Mm. And that's because naturally, as the person I am, I always go deep with my clients. It's just It just came natural to me. And in doing so, I was starting to help them understand how money is intersected with all these layers that they're actually talking to me about because they thought they're coming to discuss their money and they end up talking about their marriage, their career, their transitions, death, marriage, birth, 
mm. identity, uh, purpose, like so many layers just surfaced as uh, natural parts of the correlations that I was seeing. Um, and that's when I made the commitment, especially after hearing them refer to me as a therapist, because that's what you expect to talk about with your own therapist, that I did have a deep yearning desire to equip myself with a different set of tools and I went back to school and I trained in a five-year psychotherapy program uh, and started my financial therapy practice in 2020. And that's when I met you and mm. here we are today. <laughs> oh my goodness. When I listened to the story, especially the part of you being a little girl and making that first business card, I can't help but like tear up and cry one, because it's so like true to who you are. Like I know, I know you and I know that that is just so who you are. You are here to do that. And so <laughs> earnestly, um, but also because it makes me like long and wish that I had have known you then because we would have gotten <laughs> along so well <laughs> because <laughs> I felt, you know, in my own ways and with my own challenges, similarly drawn to the same and like kind of a weirdo for it. Like I didn't yeah. want to do the normal regular things that everybody wanted to yeah, do. Absolutely. I remember like my, like when you're a teenager and like your, your girlfriends are just like in a circle talking about the cute guys I would just go grab like an empty garbage bag and go around lecturing people not to throw <laughs> their garbage on the floor and things like that. Oh like, that my was... gosh, it's amazing. <laughs> That's how I wanted to spend my recess. I love it. Well, I was going door to door selling environment cookies <laughs> that my grandma made, <laughs> you know, knocking on every door and like having a conversation with random people that I didn't know. So I, I do get it. With that said, and because we're on the topic of that upbringing and you opened that up so beautifully and I reflect on right now what's happening in the world and in particular in the Middle East. And I know that this is an extremely sensitive topic, but it's one that I know you and I have felt we have to address as leaders, as economic healers. And so during this very tender moment on the planet, and in particular for you with the lineage that you represent and hold, I wonder what you feel as an economic healer what do we need to know about these very difficult times right now on the planet? What wisdom do you have to share? One thing I know is that war represents the most profitable industry in the world right now. There's so much profit that happens as a result of war. Actually, there's, I remember once being in an economics class and our professor was showing us how when the U.S. was close to a recession, almost always there's a war that follows to distract from that, mm. but also to bring money back into the country and the economy. And that planted uh, a really vivid picture in my mind around the correlations between politics, the economy, the global affairs and things like that. Because I grew up being in a war zone, always uh, having that understanding but never having like actual charts to prove it mm. hearing constantly about like warlords and corruption and how a lot of people benefit from war and I could never understand as a child 
because when you're a child, you're so pure. I, I couldn't understand how certain people enjoyed or benefited or, or wanted to profit in these horrendous, horrific atrocities. So knowing that my calling is, is in the financial healing space and drawing back on the conversation you and I were having earlier, how the, the work starts with the individual and the impact that that can have on the collective is very powerful, even in the times where it really doesn't feel as such. Mm. Uh, when we are grappling with like big headlines, it, we do feel helpless and powerless, undoubtedly. But it, it for me, it's always been very helpful to think about what is it that I can control? What is the work that I'm responsible for? And that for me is healing my own trauma, healing my own relationship with the economy of the world, and, and passing on these teachings to my clients, my community, my son, my people who cross my path, while I also learn from what they have to pass on to me. So I recognize that money trauma is very correlated with some of the atrocities we're witnessing right now. Uh, mm. War is, is specifically what's in the forefront, but we've witnessed other global crazy pandemics that we've also experienced from climate change, from, you know, whatever happened around COVID, whatever is happening sometimes in different things, like um, the unfortunate and unfair treatment of certain employees in, in countries where some companies profit off. I'm losing, I'm losing my proper articulation because I feel deeply unregulated with this topic yeah, right now. Yeah, it's very fresh. I understand. And in times where... I feel unregulated. I, I lose my <laughs> proper eloquency in, in finding the right words because the words really can't, we can't process what's properly going on yeah. and words do fail us in the moments like that, which is why I'm also a fan of somatic therapy and embody, like going back into the body mm -hmm. and moving through some of these emotions mm. because words will fail us. 100%. So to, to go back to the main question about why our work is important because you and I recognized how money correlates to these global issues that we're constantly facing as a humanity. Yes. And we are operating under this theory right now where would financial therapy bridge the gap? Mm -hmm. Would financial therapy help heal mm -hmm. our people, our planet? And what would that look like? I think everything that you've said here is so wise and resonates so deeply with me. And, and similar to you, I have always felt drawn to understand the system or understand why I didn't understand how it functioned in such a way that I could just tell from the, my, you know, youngest years that there was something didn't add up, that something wasn't making sense. And, you know, growing up here in Canada, I obviously wasn't exposed to the same aspects of the military industrial complex that you were so vividly in living in a war torn zone and being right across from a military base is very, very in your face. But I witnessed the subtle enslavement of people and the oppression of people due to economic systemic oppression and whether that be family members or people in my community. And so again, when I, you know, got to university, I became so interested in the study of 
these systems and these systems of oppression and what was really driving them and, you know, learning about slavery and learning about the military industrial complex, learning about colonization and imperialism and how these, you know, ideologies and, and these ways of operating have infiltrated every aspect of our lives all around the world. And that is really where we stand today, that it's going to take a massive up-leveling of consciousness if we're going to step into something new and different and from a place of, of love. And that's why when we, you know, created that co-creating the new economy radically with love, and that was, you know, a, a task or a slogan that we came up with together. And it's such a deep thing to say, like there's so many layers to just that one sentence. So I just feel so yeah. grateful. Yeah, every word you can dissect it and, and there's so much vibration that it holds. It does. It really does. Absolutely, because it is a collective work and they, the... The responsibility is on all of us, which in itself almost flips the narrative on the old system where there's a hierarchy of power and there's certain people who control what the rest of us experience yes. versus what you and I are calling for as a collective. It's we're, we're all playing our part and we have sovereignty and freedom and we are truly working in alignment with the values that we care about the most. 100%. And I think that that's something like, I want to stop on that point that you made right there. Cause I think it's such an important thing for people to hear right now that we actually have sovereignty and it doesn't feel like it in a lot of places and spaces right now. It doesn't feel like we have the power to change what is so large and overwhelming but with each and every breath that we have, with each moment that we have, we do get to uphold what our values are, even in the face of some of the worst atrocities that we've ever experienced. We get to choose how we react to that or if we give our life in the defiance of it. And it's something that I feel into really deeply. I know that that sounds kind of wild to say. But I think often about what am I willing to lay my life down for? This precious life that we have that we, so many of us take for granted, you know, especially here in Western countries where we just don't have to think about life and death every day, like some places on the planet. And that's not true for everyone here, obviously, so not making a, a massive generalization, but what is this life worth and what is it? worth to also give it up and for what and what would you fight for and what would you die for and you know for me at this particular point in watching everything unfold in the world and looking at my own children and really like feeling deeply into I, I will die for this like I will die to do my small part in trying to usher in something that is more beautiful, more safe, more loving, more peaceful. And I do believe it starts with the value system mm -hmm. of economy. Absolutely. And I actually sitting with what you're saying that I will die for this piece because I'm actually feeling 
that I want to live for it. Like I want to flip the narrative because it's in living for it that I have the life force to actually create. And because of the environment I grew up in, we use that word die a lot. Mm. It was just part of our day to day. So we, we, we were surrounded by that reality and now a part of my healing is like really trying to appreciate every second we have Mm -hmm. and not taking it for granted but also making sure it's aligned with the bigger reason to why we're here uh, which is what the new economy is all about it's not just working mindlessly and killing ourselves in that process Mm -hmm. but feeling vibrant in the work that we do Mm -hmm. oof and recharged by it so powerful such a powerful flip on that and another reflection of you mm-hmm. helping me. You're absolutely right. I need to change my narrative. I want to live for it. I want to live for it and hopefully live to live see it. it. Well. Yeah. Thank you so much for yeah. that. So I want to go into just because we're on the topic, you just brought up somatic experiences and I know that in watching you teach and watching you support the community, you use so many different tools in order to help people get outside of just their head and start to think more deeply about their feelings and their subconscious and how their body is reacting to some of these, you know, topics around economy and and money. So do you have any particular tools or resources that you like to use on a daily basis that help you like anything simple that you want to share with us. One of the helpful things that I find just anchors this concept is to understand what a pattern is. And a pattern essentially has four ingredients, if you will. The first is the body sensation, what we experience in our body. And then we have our thoughts, emotions, and then behavior. So tools to create sustainable change involve changing any of these ingredients that interrupt patterns that no longer serve us. Mm. So some tools could be like a cognitive behavioral therapy. These are focused more on shifting our thoughts and how we, you know, just become more aware of some of the thoughts and what we internalize and what we actually cement into a belief because a belief simply is a repetitive thought and it becomes the perspective in which we see the world. So if we want to do like cognitive therapy, it requires maybe journaling, some conscious work around what's happening in the mind, the thought processes and things like that. This pattern interrupt could work in such a way where we interrupt any of these ingredients whichever we feel is more feasible for us. So I love somatic tools because sometimes it's as simple as a breath work because, again, it's a body sensation. I actually had a session earlier with a client and I was getting letting her know about those four ingredients and I said, let's practice something together so I can show you in real time how this works. And prior to us doing any breath work, I wanted her to bring awareness to a specific pattern that she's trying to break from and to bring more tangibility to it she was having some spending issues in particular saying no to spending choices especially on her children she was running with the belief that I don't want to disappoint anyone so just to give you perspective on this pattern that we're trying to break together 
she would feel tightness in her chest and restriction of her breath. That's the the start of that pattern. Mm-hmm. The accompanying emotion of that would be shame and guilt and anxiety and worry. Mm-hmm. Uh, the thought is, I don't want to disappoint anyone, mm. which also means I'm not good enough. Mm. I, I keep putting people down. Mm. And then the behavior is overspending because she wants to compensate on the uncomfortable emotions and thoughts that are coming up as a result of that. Mm. So that was a really vicious cycle that she was stuck in. Mm-hmm. So some of the tools that we can work with is literally interrupting these four ingredients. Now we know what they are. So the first part is bringing awareness to that pattern. The second part is where can we start interrupting it? Mm-hmm. And first, the, the one that I practiced with her on the session is actually bringing awareness to her breath mm-hmm. and shifting it from that restricted holding breath mm-hmm. to a consciously connected breath. Mm-hmm. It's actually interesting because we as humans are the only mammals that have breaks in between our breath. And that break in between, when we're holding our breath, Mm -hmm. that's where trauma is. Because we're restricting one of our most important life resources, oxygen, Mm -hmm. from our body. And sometimes when we're holding our breath, what supports the expansion of anxiety, stress, worry, all these negative emotions that we, we experience... So something as simple as consciously connecting your breath, which means taking in breath in and breath out in a flowy fashion without any breaks in between, consciously connecting them, automatically within seconds calms you down. And that's exactly what her and I practiced, some consciously connected Mm. breath that led her to now feeling calm, more centered, which led her to start feeling differently we we reframed the i don't want to disappoint anyone Mm -hmm. to i want to be in control of my spending and that phrase felt unreachable Mm -hmm. a few minutes ago before this very minute breath work was practiced Mm -hmm. but now from a calm center space she's able now to reframe the thought in a more productive way and that helps her control her spending especially because it's such a feasible tool that you can practice on the spot on while you're in the store with your kids. That awareness and, and knowing that is, yeah, exactly the first step. Thank you for explaining that. That makes so much sense and it definitely resonates. I was- but what I wanted to just quickly t- uh, touch base, so like I said, there are these four ingredients and you can create pattern interrupts in different ways. Like I said, cognitive behavioral therapy is a piece for to focus on the thought. But what's really important uh, is to recognize that when you're starting to do this work, when this work is new to you in the space of self-development or therapy or whatever work you're immersing yourself in, the work initially starts in hindsight, Mm -hmm. which means you revisit moments that already took place and you reflect on them and you drop lessons uh, from them. Mm -hmm. And as you become more experienced and more uh, well-versed then the work starts happening in real time. Mm. So it's okay at the beginning for it to be things that you're just reflecting on in hindsight. Mm -hmm. As time goes on and you continue with consistently approaching this work, it becomes in real time. And with time, it becomes proactive. Mm. I love that. I love that. And that's such a great thing for everyone that's listening right now that you can start by reflecting what has your experience been in the past. I feel like this is a good moment 
to highlight mindfulness and money because we have just launched the annual membership and we've designed this very specifically for people to be able to exactly what you're outlining here, be able to really deeply change their patterns and behaviors when it comes to money in a very supported way. Do you want to talk a little bit about how you've designed this particular program and, and why? Mm-hmm, absolutely. So when our paths crossed three years ago, we right away started creating more content around the space of mindfulness and money with the help of our sponsors. And a lot of the work that we did uh, fell in different buckets. Some of it was like free offerings that we would create some programs around and offer it on YouTube. Others uh, had uh, a workshop component. Some of them were digital. Some of them were, were in person. And then we obviously had like, I was doing that on my own, be it one-on-one coaching or group coaching elements. And a big part of that is regardless how we did the work, be it feedback we were getting from people who viewed our Uh, offerings on YouTube or engaged with our content or people who attended our events or digital activations or people that I worked with one-on-one or in group, there was a constant question that came up and that question was like, okay, how can I get more of this? And a big piece of it, not just how can I get more of this on my own, but where are the other people who are also engaged in this work? So the word community started to emerge naturally, and we started noticing the deep yearning for it, especially in an area that feels like a taboo and scary and overwhelming for us to tackle on our own. So mindfulness and money essentially was, we recognized that through this work now needs to be a community container where we can bring all the pieces of our work together, continue evolving it. And, and growing it and catering to different topics and tackling it together collectively, but also creating a community space where our community can come along with us on this ride, uh, not just engaging with our content and ourselves as leaders and healers in the space, but with each other, because there's so much wisdom that we can draw upon from each other. And that's another really key component and how I would love to structure my life where things are collaborative mm-hmm. and restorative in nature and a big part of it has to do with the feminine divine that naturally two feminine leaders are going to bring into that space of creating a powerful safe space that's really important to tackle an issue that's usually taboo and and restrictive in nature Mm -hmm. so we started exploring that and we wanted to build a pilot to explore at least what our introductory offer would be, but I know we have a bigger vision to take this to the next level as we expand. What I really want to flip this narrative back to you is because you brought a really unique perspective into this, and that's astrology. And I would love for you to tell our listeners why you felt called to bring astrology into mindfulness and money and, and how actually it's explaining, explaining how we, how you did that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I love astrology <laughs> first and foremost, outing myself that I love astrology and I've always loved it since I was a little girl, 
But one of the teachings of conscious economics is really about coming back into balance and rhythm with nature and really honoring the cycles of nature, the cycles of the seasons, the cycles of the moons, and that this is something that is very deeply healing for us as nature ourselves because we are fundamentally nature. We're a part of this beautiful planet. Mm -hmm. We're a living organism on it and we're interconnected to all the cycles and seasons. And so when I think about what isn't working in the old economy, I think about this idea of trying to skip over natural ebb and flow and, and not actually allow for seasons, meaning that you hear a lot of companies talk about profit at all cost and we made this much and now we want to make this much and it's like perpetual growth at the expense of the well-being of people and the planet. So when I think about a conscious economy, I think about an economy that honors the seasons and cycles and looks to nature as a guide to what it is that we should be doing. So astrology being a really beautiful teaching of cycles, and we know that even just a full moon changes the tide in the ocean. So as our bodies are made of water, the planets impact us in profound ways. And so what we did is for each month in the Mindfulness and Money program, I did a very small teaching on what um, astrological season we were in. And then we tied the theme that we were looking at through the lens of mindfulness and money to that particular astrological theme. So for, as an example, when we mm. go into September, that's Virgo season. Virgo's about, you know, practicality and fine tuning and organizing. And so, you know, we looked at those kinds of themes when it came to money. Yeah. So it's, again, it's, I feel like this particular program, the annual membership program is a real collaborative combination of our passions and our personalities and what we can offer coming together in this really unique way. And then beyond that, the one thing that you and I both have in common is we see ourselves as community builders and we have a lot of friends and make a lot of contacts. Mm -hmm. You meet people everywhere you go. I, you're, <laughs> you're like having people over for dinner that you just met on the road. And I grew up in a similar scenario. My house was like a ever revolving door of people coming in and out. And so with that, we have yeah. 12 incredible wellness coaches that have come on board to support this as well. So maybe just really break it down really fast. Like what can someone expect? Like what does one month look like in the program? So I love that you uh, gave us perspective on how astrology helped inform the themes that we're talking about. Uh, every month is anchored in that theme and um, members are going to get two videos. The first is because of the name mindfulness and money. So one video on mindfulness and one video on money. So the theme would be money and the intersection of whatever it is we're exploring that month. And just to give the listeners a quick perspective on some of the monthly themes, we have mon money and spirituality, money and sex, money and identity, money and work, money and relationships, uh, and all these different layers. And then a mindfulness tool to accompany that particular teaching to support you in engaging in the content in ways that feels supportive and regulated so that you are integrating the lessons in your life. A lot of the times where we hear important 
information or we get a really uh, great breakthrough moment, it's a wasted opportunity if it's not properly integrated into our life. Mm -hmm. And one of the best ways to understand what integration means, it's our, our ability to process something on a mental, physical, and emotional level. Mm. That is what full integration means. So sometimes if we're only able to engage with something mentally mm -hmm. and we can't really feel the emotions or understand the physical sensations mm -hmm. that that particular experience has, then that gap is traumatic and, and that particular issue re remains unresolved and we carry it in our life in the form of unfinished business, mm. what we refer to it in therapy is unfinished business. So integration is our ability to, to fully experience something fully, mentally, physically, and emotionally. Mm. That's how we integrate it. So mindfulness tools help us do that. Mm. So it's really powerful that we're giving our members the opportunity to be introduced to a specific lesson around money, but knowing that this lesson could potentially stir up certain things, mm -hmm we are accompanying it with mindful tools for them to integrate that teaching in their life. But we're also going to be guidance for that. We, we have uh, reflection prompts that are also customized on a monthly basis to support in journaling because we definitely promote that as a, mm -hmm. as a self-awareness tool and a mindfulness tool across the board. And our community coaching calls that are going to be on a monthly basis as well allows us then to be showing up in that safe container and discussing our breakthroughs, our stories, and all these different things. Then we can deepen our level of uh, understanding and healing together as a community. And this is something I'm really excited about. Aside from obviously the community board that we're also building where people can engage as, as much as and as little as they'd like. So that is ongoing throughout the month. You don't only have to wait until the monthly coaching call to be sharing and engaging mm -hmm. with other members. So that part is a cool feature as well. And having said that, what really excites me when I look on the horizon is all these in-person events and retreats and conferences that we get to activate in the future once we start building this community and community of healers, community of mindfulness and money members. Yeah. Everybody's going to come together and just bring this work even more collectively. And like you said, a co-creation mm -hmm. of, of what all these things would help us I'm so excited for it. And for those that are tuning in right now and listening, if you're listening to this in real time and it's early November in Toronto, we are going to be hosting an economic healing gathering on November 30th as well with the intention of bringing our community together and really yeah. joining our hearts during this time with so much going on on the planet and so much going on internally for all of us. So if you are listening yeah. and you're interested to check that out, please do. And if you want to sign up for the program, it's available on consciouseconomics.ca right now. So one thing that had me kind of chuckle in my mind when you brought up the astrology, because I started thinking about how certain people cringe at the idea of astrology and I don't again mm. I don't want to overgeneralize but I find that a lot of men sometimes don't really connect 
to astrology. I've had, you know, partners in the past and such, not my husband. Now he's beautiful and amazing. Loves, loves astrology is supportive. Um, but I've had like people in my past in particular men be kind of like strange about the astrology thing. And I know that this is a weird sort of sideways launch into this next topic, but I want to talk about the girl math phenomenon. And so this is where I'm going with this. So just this summer, there was a huge viral TikTok trend that started Yeah, and it's called girl math. And it was originally launched by a feminine creator who basically started to, so there was like a trend called girl dinner where, you know, women would post these weird hodgepodge dinners that they were cobbling together, like a one cheese string and a little thing of hummus and a popsicle. And then it turned into this girl math concept. And so some typical girl math, I'm putting quotes up girl math is like, if it's under $5, it's basically free. Or if I paid for Mm -hmm. a concert ticket a year ago, it's like, I've already forgotten I paid for it. So when I go, I'm basically going for free or I bought something for $50 and I had to return it. And then I bought another thing for $50. So I saved money somehow, or I don't know. It's, it's just like this crazy concept, but what happened is it really caught on and a bunch of people started to share and create their own versions of what girl math is. So it was resonating with many, many women all around the world and major viral creators were getting into this trend. And I can't lie, although I wish I could say that I didn't relate to some of it, but I do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> of course. Oh no. That's why it cut up. Of course. It cut on because it was so relatable. It's so relatable. So a seal, what is going on with us? Why, why, why a seal? I don't know. I, I don't know. <laughs> why, why, why am I, I doing girl I think I understand what your question is. So I personally, I'm a huge fan of humor, especially when we're talking about topics that are usually traditional and conservative and boring. Bringing humor is is really, really, really fun. And obviously that's what trends become popular because of that. However, I do want to caution that the girl math personally, I feel reinforces stereotypes that we are actually really trying to break away from. And when we just laugh things off, like, oh, it's just like a girl thing to do. It's, it's potentially jeopardizing the healthy relationship that we're trying to build with money. So on one hand, we can absolutely bring in lightheartedness and humor and, and self-compassion when we make mistakes or when we do irrational things. Like we, everybody understands that money decisions are not rational. They're deeply, deeply emotional. So we can certainly bring lightheartedness in what that can look like. But when we are just falling in that trap of reinforcing stereotypes about women being bad with math and women are just spending machines that have no logic and they drain their money and it never makes sense and all these pieces Mm -hmm. because these messages are actually internalized especially think about not just adults like us consuming this content and maybe like shrugging it off and laughing it off but like imagine a 13 year old Mm -hmm. uh, who is now watching this content as well and the internalization of this messaging and what that means for them and how that shapes 
the belief systems and the behaviors that they're going to grow up around money Mm -hmm. through. So this is where I feel very wary of these trends because it does have the impact to shape and influence a whole generation. 100%. And even the fact that it resonates so deeply with so many women points to this deep embedded belief. And I really feel that it's, you know, it's patriarchy in action in so many ways. And if we kind of like dig deeper and deeper and deeper into it, you know, targeting women as these consumer-driven creatures that just use Mm -hmm. materialism to override everything and also this idea Mm -hmm. embedded in the culture that like men are responsible with money and women are irresponsible with money like there's so many layers and I agree that this is stuff that in our programming we're trying to course correct but I'm also like very much admitting that some of this is true for me and in particular and I, I know that It's not necessarily the way it was presented in the social media campaigns, but this idea that like girls are not good at math. And I grew up really feeling that I was not good at math and it was almost like normalized because I was a girl like, oh yeah, you're a girl. You're not good at math. Oh, well, like Mm -hmm. you'll just take it for, you know, as short as possible and then you'll give it up. But it's interesting when we reflect, no one ever says, oh, you're not good at reading. Like nobody says mm-hmm. that to you. Why is math something that you, you could be good or bad yeah. at? You like you, you either learn it or you don't. I was actually really good at math. I was a calculus uh, tutor, very, very good at it. But I tried to hide that fact because then I associated being good with math as not being cool. Wow. Um, especially because I'm a girl. Um, so I didn't, like, if I got an A plus on my <laughs> exam, I wouldn't want to share that with my friends and, wow. like, try to distract them if they asked. Um, so so it was interesting because, like I said, we do internalize a lot of these messages and how it shows up in our life is different. Uh, but now with, with social media, we have the responsibility to create content that, um, supports a expanding belief system for our for our youth, mm. not not one that limits them and reinforces what we ourselves are trying to shatter. And my girl, um, so I did like if I got an A plus on my <laughs> exam, I wouldn't want to share that with my friends and wow. like try to distract them if they asked. So so it was interesting because, like I said, we do internalize a lot of these messages and how it shows up in our life is different. But now with, with social media, we have the responsibility to create content that supports a expanding belief system for our, for our youth, mm. not, not one that limits them and reinforces what we ourselves are trying to shatter and course correct. 100%. So I wanted to start by saying that I appreciate humor because it's not just us being serious and like, no, like let's use humor if we want to, but how about we use humor in ways that also are constructive uh, instead of just self-deprecating humor? Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I feel like there needs to be a new trend on TikTok that's, yeah, you know. Maybe you and I would come up with one because we are funny. <laughs> we uh, are, but we notoriously are never good at keeping up with, I don't know, it might be the generation or something like TikTok. Anytime we've oh, done like things. Oh, like social media? Yeah. yeah, we've got support on that social media piece. But maybe you and I will come up with a trend that like would still be relatable and funny and yet also 
uh, upholds better belief systems yeah. that we, we want to like 100% you know, integrate in our lives. So if you're listening out there, send us your ideas. <laughs> yeah. um, it's, it's really interesting. So on the topic of, again, fun things to talk about when thinking about money, one of our highest ranking original podcast episodes when we did our first season together, you and I, was Money and Sex. And mm-hmm. it was like... Surpri- I'm very surprised by that. It's, I, again, I don't even know why you're surprised because sex sells. I'm always being sarcastic. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> sometimes I never know with you. Sometimes I think sometimes you were surprised. So you tricked me. No, but obviously <laughs> sex sells. We know that. But there is this deep correlation between money and sex. Mm-hmm. And while we were filming the Mindfulness and Money Annual Membership Lessons, we had one specific month on money and sex and you were teaching me some new pieces of content and I was just like devouring it. So can you talk a little bit about the correlation between money and sex and how we might be able to identify where we stand with money based on some of our behaviors with sex? Absolutely. And just to voice it out I feel like a novice in the space of the correlation on understanding money and sex and because it's something that I'm deeply interested in I feel that the calling to further my knowledge and understanding of that but I'll share with you some of the things that I've already been reflecting on and, and working around and trying to understand that money is actually one of our creative energies and so is sex. So both of them are how our creative energy and creative force shows up in our life. In sex, it's literally the creation of life. It's how we became to exist, how how we birth and, and create life. And there's nothing as profound as that. So even when you're not having sex for the intention of procreation, the fact that it has that capability in it is in itself something that helps us channel through a lot of our creative powers. Mm-hmm. It's life force energy. Life force yeah. energy, absolutely. And money is also a way in how we channel a different form of creation because we're creating products and services and how our economy is is essentially based on And what I found interesting is some of the correlations that shows up then in maybe some money traumas that are correlated with some of the sexual traumas that we're experiencing. And that's essentially any form of restriction of the concept of creativity. And I love how you are very articulate on the importance of creativity and art in our life. And that's why conscious economics fourth pillar is art. But I started to ask questions like, okay, if I step back and zoom out and kind of start understanding some of the patterns that are showing up for myself and my clients around their money traumas, could these patterns also be things that would show up in our sexual intimacy experiences? Mm -hmm. And a lot of that was the case. And I started trying to understand what that is. Uh, So a lot of it could be around feeling deprivation, feeling unworthy, um, not good enough, inhibited, embarrassed, or or sometimes just having dysfunctional compulsory behaviors. So it could be addiction, uh, overconsumption, and all these different ways and how this dysfunctional 
relationships, anything that's not harmonious or in balance or in homeostasis. Mm -hmm. So a lot of these things were starting to show up in the work that I do. And now at this time, I'm still not well versed on the sexual aspect of it, but I feel called to study it more Mm -hmm. and study that intersection even more deeply. Yeah. It's so fascinating. I mean, just some of the few examples that you gave. So this idea of, you know, deprivation being financially deprived. And then if you look, do you also feel deprived, you know, sexually, intimately? And it's just so interesting. Like all of those pieces that you brought up, you can then look at your own expression sexually and see if those things correlate. And I will say that mine did for sure. Like when I started to think about it and actually reflect on it, I was like, wow, it really does correlate. So it's so interesting how interconnected everything is. And, you know, I think one of the most life-changing and interconnected experiences that a woman can have is is actually having a child. And I know that you have become a mom this yeah. year and Aiden is turning one. <sighs> and I wonder how you reflect on motherhood and how motherhood has transformed or changed your relationship with money, if at all. Uh, my favorite thing to reflect on is my son. Like it just gives me an instant fuzziness and warmth and love beyond what words can do justice for. But so first of all, my son's name is Prosperity. And I mean, his name is Aiden, but it means Prosperity. I didn't call my son Prosperity. So what's interesting is (laughs) in times where I faced feelings of anxiety or scarcity, especially because we're collectively experiencing high inflation rates and interest uh, rates and all these different things that are happening in our global economy and especially here in Canada. I've definitely had moments over the last year where, I mean, I was on maternity leave. I wasn't really making much income and I was, you know, stressing out. Uh, One of the things that I would remind myself is, I gave birth to prosperity Mm. and this became like an affirmation for me to kind of just uh, help me align back to the bigger picture and remind myself, actually, that's something I like to work on with my clients as well, that when we're just very aware of how certain prices increased or the cash flow tightness that we may be experiencing or however this experience is showing up for us, I would remind myself that so is our capacity to increase the inflow. Like Mm -hmm. sometimes our focus is so much on what's going out, the price increase on, on that side. But obviously because we're, you and I are entrepreneurs and people who have more flexibility in controlling their income, you know, we also have power to increase the influx Mm. and the flow and what's coming in and I get I start shifting gears from feeling constrained and tight and tight and stressed on what's coming out Mm -hmm. into feeling excited on how I can increase what's coming in Mm. and I do that by reminding myself of the equation that money equals value creation Mm -hmm. and as long as I'm creating value and that value is something that I'm excited about and aligned with my life's purpose Mm -hmm. then I'm not gonna worry about how money comes in it will come in and it just becomes a more assured stance to have so becoming a mother helped me get to these spaces faster Mm. versus being stuck in that 
scarcity and in that fear of the unknown and the uncertainty that we're obviously all experiencing. The other piece of it is very different. It's starting to reflect on, well, okay, money is equal value creation. How can I create this value in such a way that doesn't compromise the kind of mother I want to be, how available and present I want to be to my son? There's definitely been times where I needed to step away for meetings and I needed to, you know, work and things like that. But I've becoming more cognizant on how can I build my business around my life, mm-hmm. not my life around my business. Mm. Which is very new economy. Very new economy because it prioritizes what matters in life anyway. And that is our family, our health, our relationships. And for me, I'm very grateful that I'm in the business I am with you because we get to do this together. And I know there's times where you called me out where I wasn't acting from that mindset because, you know, we recognize the kind of healing journey we're on, but we there's times we're going to fall back in the default mm-hmm. of what it was like before, that hustle, like that uh, anxious, you know. It's very clear to me and to you, I know that, when we're acting out of anxiety versus when we're inspired and in flow and in our creative element. And I love that we can call each other out when, when we're, you know, yeah, go, getting off the road. So I'm, I'm very excited about that. And I think becoming a mother reinforced the importance of that mm-hmm. for me to bring in flexibility and, you know, starting to strategically think about a business that is scalable, that creates passive income, where also my work is very connected with my values and purpose because it's now taking me away from something very precious and these pieces all are things I continue to refine. I think these are beautiful reflections. And also I'm hyper aware that not everybody has the ability to create like this right now, but this is something that, you know, if we're teaching this philosophy, we're trying to live this philosophy, we're trying to embody these philosophies. And it is such a challenging time when you have brought in a new life into the world because it's one of the most, if arguably not the most important job that there is. And it's not a job that's paid <laughs> or not not well paid. Yeah. Um, and we are lucky here in Canada to have some supports. And there's other places around the world that don't even have that or have mm. e- even shorter, very little. But these are conversations to have when we think about a conscious economy. I remember even you sent me a really interesting video on social media and it was talking about how it really does take a village in order to raise a healthy child and that Mm. a mother needs a village. And now Mm. because that village isn't ingrained in our value system, we're having to pay for the village. Like we're having to pay for the support to have to budget and pay for for the village. And that's creating this whole additional layer of pressure on us as women and as, you know, businesses. And there's Mm. this really interesting sort of movement. It's almost this counter movement that's happening with women. And I've seen it in myself and I've seen it in many women and mothers post pandemic that we're reclaiming our time with our children and saying like, Hey, wait, like, is this promotion worth the time that I'm not going to have with my family or children? And many of us are questioning it. And many women have left the corporate labor force at mass. And like, we know we've done all of this 
work. As you know, you were at the table during the heart work project, all of these things. So thank you for your reflections. And I think that as we continue to iterate and make offerings with mindfulness and money, I know we've both talked about wanting to serve mothers as one of the real pillars of the new economy and the conscious economy. A hundred percent, a big pillar. Yeah, it's a really powerful, a powerful place. And again, you know, calling out that I may be using some generalizations here. We may be talking about things that are specific to our experiences. So I want to hold space for anyone who doesn't feel that they're connected to some of these ways of thinking or being right now. But I feel that our job at, you know, mindfulness and money and conscious economics is to vision hold for what the future can be and to try and practice and experiment with that in our own lives. So with all of that said, Asil, thank you so much for being with us today. That hour like flew by. I feel like I can talk to you for a million hours. Maybe the way we can end off is just give us any wisdom you'd like to share when it comes to healing your relationship to money. What would you like to leave everyone with? Uh, I think it's really important to recognize that this is an evolving path and it's not linear. So sometimes we feel like we've done already, we progressed a lot and then something happens where we act back in the ways how things were before our healing journey started and we we may fall in the trap of becoming too too critical or too self-loathing or however shameful we feel in these moments. So it's important to remind ourselves and be very gentle in, in approaching even the biggest mistakes that we make in our life and introducing that self-compassion and talking to ourselves as if we talk to someone we deeply, deeply care about. Mm-hmm. Um, so this healing journey, like I said, is nonlinear, ongoing, lifelong, and it's going to continue to evolve and expand. And when you make mistakes, it's okay. So please be gentle with yourself. And we really hope that you join our community because it's going to be a beautiful collective, global collective that not only supports you in healing the relationship you have with money and how that shows up for you in life, but because it intersects with all the different layers of your own life, but also the systemic and global things that we started this episode talking about, you will have the capacity to change the world with us. So it's our invitation to help you be a part of a changing world force over here. Mm, I love it. Well, thank you so much, Asil. And we're so excited to have had you be the first guest. And so for anyone that's listening out there, do check it out. Mindfulness and money. You can just Google it. ConsciousEconomics.ca. We hope to see you if you're local out in Toronto on November 30th. And we will be back next week. Well, two weeks because we're new economy pacing over here. (laughs) So thanks, everyone. We'll see you soon. Well, thank you so much, you guys, for tuning into that episode. I hope you enjoyed hearing Asil's story and her reflections. If you are interested, like we mentioned, you can check out and sign up for Mindfulness and Money, the annual membership. You don't have to be starting in November. You can start any time of the year and get the full 12 months. So it is 
always ongoing. Just to remind you, the program allows you to get a teaching every single month on a unique money topic. It gives you a unique mindfulness tool from our wellness coaches. You get some written journal prompts and then you get live community coaching with a seal and myself every month showing up for you to help you really integrate and transform your relationship. So do go onto the website and check it out. It is meant to be priced very accessibly for people. We're trying to democratize access to this service, but if for some reason those price points are still not in reach for you right now, we do have scholarships available. So if you are someone who is interested, but do not have the means currently right now to be able to sign up, please do reach out at info at consciouseconomics.ca and we can share with you where scholarship opportunities are available. So with all of that said, I hope you have a beautiful rest of your week and we will see you back on the next episode of the Conscious Economics Podcast. Bye for now.